Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode number 14 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. Conveniently located 70 miles outside of Boston in Orange, Massachusetts, it is where commercial skydiving in the United States was born. And I've been skydiving there for over 20 years. And if you have always wanted to check off skydiving from your bucket list, now is the time to do it. Fall in New England is the perfect time to book your tandem skydive. So go to jumptown.com and get all of the details. You can book your tandem skydive on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you can leave peep more badass than anyone you know. You are going to love it. I'm telling you, the first time I made a skydive, it changed my life, and you got to do it. There's no better way to shake up your 2020 than going skydiving. So log on to jumptown.com. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. Now, for over 20 years, they have been helping brands revitalize, energize, and take the next step forward. They've got over 20 years of experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. From supporting and energizing an established brand like Mistress Carrie to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. They have been instrumental in helping me with the podcast, Cocktails in the War Room, in the very soon online store filled with merchandise that they've been able to help me put together. You can find them and get more details at latinicreative.com. Now, before we get to this week's episode, I want to send out a huge thank you to everybody that has gotten themselves a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. If you've never used Patreon before, It's a way for you to get extra special access to your favorite people. In this case, hopefully, it's a purple-haired former radio DJ and podcast host. If you go to patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie, you can get all of the details on the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass, which is going to give you access to exclusive content, blogs, photos, updates, behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, polls, and very soon, because the Mistress Carrie online store is very close to being done, discounts on merchandise. 
and a lot more. We're just getting started around here. So I wanted to give a huge hello to all of the backstage pass holders. Renee, Ricky, Brianna, Michael, Julia, Mike, Christy, Eric, Tom, Mark, Amanda, Jeff, Melanie, Kathy, Julie, Paula, Carol, Janine, Kathleen, Paula, Rachel, Kathy, Jane, Annette, Ron, Kat, Monica, Ash, Keith, Debbie, Derek, Linda, Kellier, Heather, Kim, Trisha, Penny, Dave, Jim, Michael, Karen, Lisa, Mark, David, Krista, Carol, Travis, Ashley, Stephen, Jonathan, Kim, Chalaxon, Donna, Peter, Wendy, Jen, and Danielle. Doesn't that sound like a party? Go to patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie and get yourself a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. Okay, this episode of the podcast is a two-parter. I'm so excited for episode 14. Evanescence has been very busy during this pandemic. They're working on new music in an unconventional way, and I was super excited to be able to talk to members of the band. However, they're all in different places, and they're all doing different things. Amy Lee is holed up in Nashville, writing lyrics and working on a bunch of other stuff for the album. Other members of the band, well, they're scattered to the wind, but I was able to track down Will in between surfing at the beach and Troy in Atlanta. And both of those guys I have known for years before they even joined Evanescence. So this two-part episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, the first part is Amy Lee in Nashville. And then later on in the episode, Will and Troy from, well, wherever the hell I could track them down. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Amy Lee, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding? Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy working on an album in the middle of a global pandemic. No big deal. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I had to get busy. It was like too depressing. Yeah. It felt better to make myself busy. Me too, but busy in a different way. Like I had to build a home studio because the radio station went off the air and start a company and start all over again. And it looks great. Thank you. This is MCHQ. So welcome to MCHQ. I love it. I love it. I've got my space here too. We just, um, we actually just moved to Nashville last year um, from Brooklyn. I've lived in New York for 13 years and we finally just moved um, 
haven't had too much of a chance to see the town. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, there's so many people in rock now that are in Nashville. Yeah, it's cool. It's, kind of, it's like people are taking over, like the rock genre is taking over. So true. Yes. Um, it's just kind of become like a central gathering place between New York and L.A. Like everybody from the coast is kind of coming here and making a new a new place out of a place that was already a music town. But it's not just a country town anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of it now, I think a lot of people are learning through the coronavirus that you've got to have the ability to work from home no matter yeah. what you do. Yep. But especially for you, having a home studio with a family and trying to mm -hmm. not be away from home to record because you're already away from home when you're touring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. I am going into uh, Nick's studio now. Um, Nick Raskulinix, our producer. Uh, he is here in Nashville, so that has been super, super lucky. I wouldn't be able to do this if I was having to travel to be here. Um, so we've been able to, you know, continue the recording process. Um, we had to create a bubble. I got the guys to get back here a month ago. Um, on tour buses, we all took COVID tests, like just totally quarantined together for a while to get um, the next half of the album going and recorded, you know? Um, so I'm here in the aftermath uh, finishing lyrics, recording vocals, doing keyboard stuff, like just kind of doing it. Um, Troy's coming up again soon. And yeah, it's, it's going, it's happening. You have to just find a way. You just have to yeah, kind of you find have a new to... way. It's harder. It takes more work, you know, but you know what? It kind of makes it uh, that much more satisfying when you actually get something done. Cause it's like, oh my God, I did that. It's so hard even just to. In spite of the obstacles you did. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to do anything. Um, it feels, it feels awesome to be able to, to move forward in something that I feel like is, is feeding my soul. It is truly giving me um, like a reason and, and a way to like control some little tiny thing in, in my world and make, make something good out of it. Well, they time. say that that saying about necessity being the mother of invention, like it, yeah. it really is true. And there's so much change, not only obviously in the world, but the, when you talk about the music industry specifically, I know on the radio side of things, you know, my world was upside down a couple weeks before the pandemic really hit because the station got sold. Yeah. So I was already kind of moving my process along <laughs> of building my studio and starting my company and Good. doing all of this stuff. But then even radio stations that stayed on the air, they're trying to work from home and yeah. doing all of this stuff. And there has been, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of bands now that I've got the podcast up and running about whether or not you want to release an album during all of this when you can't tour right. and whether it's a good business decision, mental decision, the bitter truth is the new album that you're working on. And you guys are doing it a little bit differently where you're still working on the album, but you're already releasing songs and videos that you guys have produced by yourselves. I mean, <laughs> you're yeah. definitely doing it differently than you yeah. would have normally. It feels good. Um, it's crazy. I'm very busy. I, it's weird to be so busy in such a weird time, but, um, yeah, I, it, weirdly, that was our kind of our plan before we started. Um, we went in in February right before all the lockdown and everything and recorded, um, four songs, like just got together with Nick and we just thought it would be cool to do this in a way that was more living in the moment and more, um, it's kind of scattered like we were on tour and so the way we've been writing over the past 
more than a year now is we'll, you know, we've been doing a lot of touring. We'd go do some shows. And then at the end of that cycle, like find a place wherever we were, like one of the, one of the coolest sessions we had uh, that we all got together to write was in uh, Mont-Tremblant in Canada, like out in the woods, like in French Canada, just like out there. Um, it, it was an off-season like ski area, so it was like cheap. We found some Airbnb place that it was totally just desolate. And at the end of the we'd finished our like Canadian part of our tour and we were like, cool, we found this Airbnb and just camped out out there for an extra week and wrote for a while and then went home for our families for a couple weeks and then went back out on tour. So just the whole mentality of breaking it up instead of being so locked into um, one extreme for such a long period of time, because usually it's like the creation process takes forever, you know, and the recording process takes a, it's, it's just a whole thing where it's like in the past, it's, it's like my mind won't let me do anything else until I finish the one thing in front of me. And I've had to kind of, for a lot of reasons, started becoming a mom, like had to be able to let my thoughts get interrupted and come back to what I was doing and come over here and do something that is good in this way and then leave it and go do something else. And I actually found that I kind of like working that way. Um, it helps not, it helps prevent burnout, you know? So like when we're on tour, it's not just like, ah, I'm so tired of these same songs. All we do is just the, the same thing over and over and over. Instead of that feeling, it's like, we've got these songs in the background that we're working on. We're writing new music. Um, then there's the old songs that are kind of helping us remember who we are in the first place as we go forward into writing new music and, and branching in new directions and all that. So, um, I just talked forever, but it's been no, cool to just change the process. And that was the plan in the beginning. But then, then we ended up in, in, in 2020 and, um, having to do everything like that and work with whatever we had when we could, you know, is, is what it is. Like we have to find a way. And interestingly, like those limitations can be inspiration. If you let it be, it's like, well, we have to do it this way. So how do we do it this way? And then you end up creating something that you wouldn't have because you wouldn't have been in that situation. Um, so yeah, it's cool to the uh, releasing this way while we're still working, because first of all, releasing music, especially after so long is so satisfying for us. Um, and our fans, I know that that's what they want more, more than to go see us play a show of our old songs. Um, they, that's what they're always going to say at the end of it. Like, man, I just, we want new music. So that's one thing that we can do. We can be doing that aspect of, that's what we wanted. We know that's what they want. We're able to still connect with them and give with, give to them and have the release of, um, sharing music and seeing their feedback and, um, just living in that moment together. But I, releasing a lot of the songs like singles, you know, um, get, I wanted to give each thing a moment. Like it's. I love albums. We're making an album. It's going to be an epic Evanescence album. But at the same time, like we live in a singles and, and standalones world. I listen to music like that a lot. Um, and I like the fact that each song can kind of have a, a little celebration. You know, I want to give that to more songs than normal. Well, I wanna, it's very like, old school. That's how songs used to get released. They, right. they Artists would just release a 45 and it would have that moment and it wasn't until later that it kind of evolved into an LP right where it all had to be this concise packaged and right. I've got to think I'm not a creative person the way that you are and I've got to imagine that when you are putting yourself in a creative place and getting inspired to write a record 
that you, the, you know, the way of doing it where you lock yourself in a studio for months and then all of a sudden you produce these 12 songs, mm-hmm. by the time it gets to people hearing it and by the time it gets to people seeing you perform it live, mm-hmm. I would think emotionally and mentally you've already gone someplace. So you're always working on an emotional delay with the so music. So true. That's exactly right. And what's been cool about this, like use my voice coming out right now is so right like and it wasn't the plan like we were going to release that as like our first song um back in the spring and um we waited because all of a sudden like we needed a different meaning and we had a few songs in our pocket and we looked at waste on you and we're like oh this is the this is this moment it's been cool to be able to just choose the moment kind of at the last minute because everything's changing from minute to minute um and the fact that that got to wait and now it's having its time now as we're getting ready to vote and everything feels absolutely like that's what it was always supposed to be and i that song just got finished like it's still super close to my heart and those words are fresh and they're about something that i'm feeling now so you're you just hit the nail on the head i get to feel what i'm feeling now process it write about it release it and it's still when we do our interview together i'm still in that place it's not a year later when i kind of you know the, the issues resolved and like, yeah, back a long time ago, I was, you know, whatever, going through. Well, a it's, it's also <laughs> a it's also a scary thing because even just encouraging people to get out and vote mm-hmm. somehow has become a controversial message. <laughs> it used to be viewed as the most patriotic American thing you could do, which yeah. is to exercise your right to vote. And now just trying to encourage, say, young people to go and register to vote for the first time. Now, all of a sudden, you're making a slanted political statement on either side. Like, now it's controversial to vote. Well, I, I'm i trying to think about how to say what I want to say about that. Like, we should recognize that that is really messed up and different. I mean, you want to be heard, right? I mean, obviously, that's what that's what this country is. That's what democracy means. It means that this is our country. We make the decisions. We are the ones who vote in our leaders and we have the biggest say. We are supposed to have the biggest say in what's happening and um, how we are represented to the world as well. Um, I, I, It has become more um, urgent and important to me and I think to a lot of people than ever um, right now. Just that we have to be heard because so many people feel misrepresented. I mean, I do. I do. Like if we're, if anything's going to change, then we need to stand up and we can still respect each other. I think uh, pretty much everybody I know has family members on different sides. We have to talk about this within our families. We have to have um, hard conversations about things um, beyond just policies and issues. It's about truth and it's about our freedom. Um, so some of these talks are, are really, really, really hard because people are seeing things in such different ways. And there's, there's no way to different... see it all the same way. We're the the yeah. world influences us. I mean, you and I have been in the rock industry for decades now as women. Yeah. And we've both found successes in our own right, in our own lane. But it, nobody can say it's easy. Right. Because there hasn't been a lot of blueprints laid out for us by those that have come before. Because in a lot of cases, women are still charting new courses for the women that will follow them through those paths. But 
No, it's not easy. And so how could anybody look at this political climate? Um, you know, men are going to look at it differently than women. Um, white people are going to look at it differently than black people. Straight people are going to look at it differently than gay people. I mean, there's just what's required is empathy, which That's I think right. a lot of people just have a yes. really hard time having right that, that now. That is so true. That is so true. Empathy and, and love. We have to put that first, really, because we want, we need to be unified. Nobody wants to live in this stressful, hateful place. We have to love each other. We have to come together. And I, I believe in the power of music. I really do to just inspire people to search their own heart. You can't, no matter how hard and loud you scream, you're not going to get somebody to just, oh, okay, just agree with your side. It never yeah, when's works the last time way. somebody changed your mind while they were screaming in your yeah. face? You never. Need, you, we need to empower people to find their own information, to find their own voice and make up their own mind. That's the real point. Don't let anybody speak for you. Don't be lazy right now. Find out what's really going on you know, and then make your own decision about what that means to you and what you want to do about it. It would be difficult politically in the United States right now if the coronavirus wasn't here, right? Because mm -hmm. we're going mm -hmm. into such a tumultuous time around an election. and But we're also functioning when everyone is more isolated than they've ever been and people are scared, especially people that, um, you know, have pre-existing conditions and are more susceptible to the virus. And so what we're all experiencing, no matter if it's Amy Lee from Evanescence in Nashville or, you know, Mistress Carrie and MCHQ in Boston is we all feel disconnected and we all have these challenges. And so I want to talk to you about overcoming the challenges with the band to get you guys all together. And I have this image of you having like a trailer park out in your backyard with we all the about tour that. buses. We totally talked about that. When we first were discussing how do we get back together, we, we started the discussion like in June. We we're like, okay, like how, how can we do this? How do we move forward? It's time because we had been writing remotely um, since we had to split apart. Um, and I just got to a wall where I, I feel like we all kind of did as much as we could do on our own and we needed to start gluing our ideas together as a group. Um, and being and in the, you can do like you and I are on the internet and we're looking at each yeah. other and it's very personal, but, but when you need to be around the other creatives in your band to kind yeah. of be able to bounce things and well, it's just I, not you the can't, same. You can't jam like this. I'm not right. seriously with all the tech and gear, that stuff weighs you down so much. We need to be able to just plug in and sit in a circle to really finish this stuff up. Um, so I, we, when, it was funny because we were talking about that conversation. It's like, how do we do this? Um, and it's going to take a while and you guys have to come away. It's like, what about the families? Like, maybe we should just like caravan, like I have a big backyard. Like maybe we can get like, like the buses. <laughs> stay back here It'll look like or, backstage at a venue i know and then i i mean i quickly realized like that's not gonna be okay with my neighbors um and then we were talking about doing it at nick's studio we didn't have to do that um we found another way uh but it's funny because it it, it is kind of it's not fun but it's when you have to pull together and and find a way in a tough situation that's when your real like character has a chance to come out and you get to go, okay, like, are we really doing this? Are we going to roll over? And we're like, hell no, we're doing this. How do we do it? We're going to do it right. And all of us are just 100% in the category of completely being safe and completely um, being 
not just respectful to ourselves and our family, but to everyone. Like we were all hardcore home, um, quarantined and just isolated. So we all got COVID tests. Everybody got a negative result. We got buses to bring the guys from both coasts together. Jen, um, our guitar player, lives in Germany. So there is no way that we can physically be together. And we've had to work with her just remotely. And that's been really difficult. Um, there's just no way around it. That sucks. Um, we wish she was here. We've been communicating a lot. But, you know, that just, just is hard. And it, it's, it's working. It's working. But it just takes thinking outside the box. Like we created a bubble. We came to Nick's. And it was literally just us. Um, and Nick, our producer and one engineer and a tech. And we just, it was just us. Like, you know, I've eaten a lot of ramen and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we just have like done this in a way that having, having to do things different, um, in this way and, and humble, kind of humble yourself in a lot of ways, actually to, to make things work has felt so good for me in a weird way because it's taken me back to my roots. Like remembering when we had to fight and, and, and scrape like, and it was such a exciting, special opportunity to be in a recording studio and to be in a band and to be able to be calling this my job that I get to make music for my job. It's not the thing that I'm pulling an all nighter for, you know, when, you know, real life happens in the morning. Um, and I, those feelings are back, like, because we, we definitely felt, we definitely felt the option of, of just going, well, I guess we'll just sit this year out. And that's just not what I want. It's just been so frustrating and disappointing and, and like we have to, we have to output something. And it is that where the heavy guitar sound of this record is coming from. (laughs) Is that like angst? Yes, it absolutely is. Um, And I have to say, like when we got back together, like ideas just flooded the room. Like it was just like, heavy and fun and we were all just soaking up like being able to be together in a way that um there's just a new fire in it um so i i am all that to say it 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 was weird too because we weren't posting about it we did it all just kind of totally on the down low because it's like i don't know how to talk about this i know we're being safe but who knows what that looks like and i we just have to get this done right now um so the fact that we were able to do that and be safe and everything was just, I'm just really grateful that we did it and kind of amazed by everyone um, involved and grateful that Nick is here because now we can keep going. Like this is taking a while. It, I'm still, like I said, I'm still writing lyrics. Like we wrote music together, like from scratch when the guys came. Um, so it's like, we're committing to laying down drum tracks and, and stuff with me not having the vocals done. That's different. Um, that means me making a true commitment to myself, like, okay, this is the way it is. There's no going back and changing it now. Um, so to, it takes some like faith and like stand at the edge going, I know I can do this when there's always a part of me, every time we make music, every single time I make an album. And I think this is funny. I said this to Tim, we were recording and he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, really? Um, every time we do it, there's a moment where I go in my head, like, I can't do this. Why am I standing here thinking I can do this? I can't do this. Um, and every time we do, and I'm so grateful and feel like it's not something I can truly control. It's hard to explain, but it's just something I have to be grateful for. Um, well, it's it's a scary <laughs> time. And I think for rock music, you know, to be losing radio stations like WAF, that was a rock station for 50 years and a trend-setting rock station, and it's happening more and more all of the time. And so I think our genre of music is being forced to get creative mm-hmm. and get 
and, and get to the point mentally where we're standing on that edge going, okay, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep our community together? I know here in New England, mm-hmm. once AAF was gone, there's so few places. And that was part of why I wanted to start my company and launch my podcast and build my studio because I'm like, there's so many rock fans in New England. Yeah. Boston's always been such a rock town. There totally. isn't any place where you can get new rock music played in Boston anymore mm. because the stations don't exist. So. Right. You know, I had that same thing where I was like, okay, I'm committing to this. Well, this is how this is how good change really happens. When That's we're what I'm forced, hoping. When we're forced to find a new way. Yeah. And then we find out actually that new way is better in some ways. Well, I can <laughs> say then, fuck now. That's the joke now is that yeah. I, I wouldn't I wasn't able to say <laughs> fuck for 22 years. And now uh, that I have my own studio and it's like people are like, oh, my God, it's so weird to hear you say that. I'm like, well, if you knew me, you'd know I say it all the time. <laughs> But, but you never great. got to hear me say it on the air. And now, yeah, now funny. it's just boring because I can that's do so it whenever funny. I want. I did a radio interview yesterday and I was like, I'm sorry I said the F word at the end of it. Don't say, She's don't like, say it's fun. okay, I'll edit it out. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where it's like, it's always in your head where you're like, don't say fuck, don't say fuck. And then it's the only thing you want to say. Yeah, totally. Well, you know? I, I will say one more time. That's the number one word of the year for me. Like, that's all we want to say. That is yeah. the number one word you want to say. <laughs> 2020 is definitely, I mean, I just keep joking that like the Pentagon confirmed aliens and like nobody even gives a shit about it. It's, it's like <laughs> in 1999, if the Pentagon had come out and confirmed UFOs, it would have been all anyone was talking about. Did that about. really happen? I didn't hear about that. Yeah. See? Yeah. So you, there's you know, too much going on. I I woke up this morning and checked whatever was trending and somebody, uh, the airline said they saw a guy in a jetpack out the window. Yeah, exactly. I I can't even keep track of what's real. (laughs) I know. Is that real? Are there jetpacks? So, yeah. And aliens? Yes. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So you remember when Tom DeLonge left Blink-182 and he started that UFO like organization that was like, and everybody thought he was fucking crazy. He had all these videos from American fighter jets of UFOs. And he was saying, they're real, they're real, they're real. Well, like four months ago, the Pentagon came out and said, those videos are real. They won't say they're aliens. They're just saying that they are confirmed UFOs. They don't know what it is. But they have confirmed that the videos are real, that they were real fighter pilots. They released video and audio. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Wow. 2020 is so crazy that yeah. we've got like murder hornets and UFOs yeah. and jetpacks and it's just normal. <laughs> yeah. I, that's that's a little bit scary. I Maybe I li- just changed the lyrics of one of the new Evanescence songs <laughs> because now you're going to be inspired <laughs> to write about aliens. That's wild. I mean, but but yeah, it's like you said, we're becoming desensitized because every day something is wild. And that's a little bit scary because we can't lose... We can't lose our heart of what's acceptable, you know, yeah. when it comes to what's going on right now, you know, it's I crazy. mean, we have to remember what we're okay and not okay with. And that's what, that's what people are standing up against. Last weekend, um, I got married, oh, which congratulations. Thank you. And we got married at home and had a socially distancing oh. wedding and had people like all spread out and yeah. watching and we couldn't go inside and we just, yeah. 
it was really surreal and strange, but we kind of like threw a keg party in the driveway and it yeah. was kind of awesome at the same time. Aww, so I'm on my sweet. honeymoon. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. How has it been trying to parent during all of this? It, it's been a challenge. I know it's a challenge for everybody. Um, I just have one and I, I actually was, have faced feeling guilty about that. Um, just cause he, I wish he had a friend because there's just only so much that we can do to give him interaction, you know, like we're and, and do our own lives, you know? Um, and I, he's so sweet. I love him so much. Are I, you a I, teacher now too? I mean, I'm more of a slime maker, like make a guitar out of a Kleenex box type teacher, you gotcha. know, like it's more, it, he's only six. So it's not like, I felt like we're falling way behind on stuff he would have been doing. You're not trying to do chemistry at home no, in the I, kitchen. No. Well, actually, he's super into science and chemistry is the main thing, like exploding volcanoes and mixing different like little science kits to make crystals grow or like all that stuff. That's do what it in the garage, into, so. Amy. Do it in the garage. I don't have a garage. <laughs> I don't have a garage. The driveway is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> so to say, don't do it in your kitchen. Don't. The mistakes are made in the kitchen. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you, you know, found the time with everything that you have going on to sit down and talk to me. I know that I'm going to be talking to Will and Troy for this episode as well, who I've known since before they were in Evanescence. And I'm so, I'm so looking forward to catching up with those guys and, and finding out how they're doing as well. And yeah. So, um, you know, it's, and it's nice to be able to see you. Yeah, you too. You know, um, it's, it's nice to be able to actually have a personal conversation and look is. each other in the eye and go, oh, you're that person. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> so. It is. And I, it is all about connection. You said something about, um, everybody feels so disconnected Yeah, and that's true. And that has been what the music has, has done for me and, and us in, in a big way during this is to help us feel connected to each other um, and and just the world and to our fans. Um, and that was what those videos were for, like making art visually, musically, whatever, um, just finding a way to draw connection within each other and see that, you know, see and show that like our our lives aren't that different. Like our, our, our hearts are the same and, and there is, um, comfort and unity and beauty in that um, we can miss each other and know that, you know, we're still going to see each other again. And this, I mean, I don't think this is the end of the world. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I mean, the aliens, Amy, the aliens could come at any oh, moment God. and end it all. Man. If, if but you guys aliens, have tour dates scheduled please for- save us. Take us there. <laughs> Please. You have tour dates already <laughs> scheduled for 2021, so you're yeah. at least siding on the side of optimism. That's right, for sure. We have to. Yeah, we have to. That's we're we're gonna we're gonna get past this. We're gonna move past this eventually. We just have to just hang in there and remember that you know I don't know. I had to remind myself yesterday like this isn't this isn't a bad day. Like you wake yeah. up sometimes and you just feel like depressed, you know. Then everything's so out of control and um, scary, and we just don't know what's next. But at the same time, like. I'm not at a funeral today. I'm not in the ICU. Like, this is a good day. I need to remember, like, the things that I do have and appreciate my family and my, my life. need to savor it more. Yeah, that's exactly like, right. Like, I've, I've joked that, you know, had I known that 
when I saw Bush in February in Vegas was going to be the last concert I saw this year. Like I would have sang a little more. I would have had one more drink, totally. you know, like I would yep. have enjoyed it even more that's and right. savored it. And ah, totally. And that's a lesson now. And that's it's what like, we got to do. We got to seize yeah. that day. The yeah. next concert I go to, like I'm having that extra uh, drink, you know, same. like I can't wait. I can't wait either. That's going to be wait. so good. Well, get back to work. Finish okay. that album so All we right. can see you. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much for everything. Keep you in touch. Too. All right. Let us know when you get the plan in place so that All we right, know what's going on. All right. See you later. Bye, Carrie. Okay. So that is part one of the Evanescence episode. The next day, I got Will and Troy from Evanescence and looped them in to talk to them. Now, Will had been surfing all day and was taking a break to have a beer and wait for low tide, and Troy had to have his teenage son help him get the computer all worked up so that we could see each other and talk to each other and kind of reconnect. So the second part of the Evanescence episode, episode number 14 of the Mistress Carrie podcast, this is featuring Evanescence drummer Will Hunt and guitar player Troy McClawhorn. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is your birthday? Tomorrow is my birthday, yeah. Is it a big one? Yeah, I mean, if you consider 29 to be a big birthday, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Congratulations. And enjoy the last year of your 20s. But Again. you guys must be really important because you're breaking into that. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Where are you right now? That beach is beautiful. I'm in New Smyrna. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been surfing all day, and then I'm going to go back out and low tide comes back. Damn. Well, I appreciate your interrupting your pre-birthday post-surfing activities for me. <laughs> it's okay. I needed to have a beer anyways. And, and Troy had to interrupt his son's drum lessons in the <laughs> drum studio for the computer. So That's awesome. So I talked to I talked to Amy already and I kind of got the lowdown on how it's been recording this new album apart and then kind of together and so I want to talk to you guys about what life was like before and then going into quarantine so you guys could actually be in the same room. What have you been doing? Like the whole quarantine or just before and then now? Yeah. So you guys were supposed to, you were off for a while. Yeah. And then you were going to start working on new music. When's yeah. the last show you guys played? It was in Mexico last year. Actually, we didn't play it. We, yeah. we were there to play it. And then the riot yeah. happened. And like my, my all my shit got burned in a bonfire and... Some yeah, the there was a riot because uh, the barricades fell and um, they couldn't get them back together. And so kept getting postponed while security was trying to repair the barricades. There was a shit ton of people there. And um, so finally, uh, like, I think it was one thirty or 2 in the morning. They were like, we can't fix it. You know, and us and Slipknot were still there. We were the supposed to be the last ones to play. And um, we were going on right before them. So we were both hanging out there planning on doing the show. But um, the venue called it because uh, they couldn't repair the, the barricades. So 
all these fans went on stage and our gear was up there because we were about to go on stage when all we the were shit literally the about to walk to the stage. They said, okay, guys, let's go. And we and were they, literally about to go. And, um, and fun, fun fact. Um, I don't know if you probably know Richie Surrency. He's their security guy for Limp Biscuit and us and a bunch of people. I'm sure you've met big Richie. Yeah. And he was a uh, Limp Biscuit security guy when the whole Woodstock thing happened. So when our sound guy went out to go set up for our show. And meanwhile, I think um, there were two different stages. Godsmack played that. Day. I mean, everybody and their brother played that. There's like 80,000 people at this place. And he went out to go set up his thing. And he noticed there was a barricade behind him about 50 feet behind him. He's like, man, people are just going through that barricade like this. And he's like, that doesn't look right. He calls Richie on the, the, you know, the radio and says, hey, man, you need to come look at this. People are just going through this barricade like it's a gate. And so Richie goes out there, walks that whole barricade, and sees that they're not bolted together. There's no bolts. So you know how a barricade works. It's like weight on it, and then they're bolted. So the entire barricade there wasn't bolted. All the barricades on the side weren't bolted. So the only barricade that was bolted was the barricade directly in front of the stage. And this thing is surging like a dam after a hurricane. Yeah. And he, he walked the whole thing. like and He's like, you, you guys got to fix this. And so these... Uh, you know, the Mexican local staff or whatever goes out there and starts zip tying these barricades together. And he's like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> then they, then they get out there with like these pipes, who knows where they got them and start duct taping them to the barricade. He's like, nope, that's not going to work either. And this took like three and a half hours. Meanwhile, all the other bands are done. So there's 80,000 people in front of the stage. And if we have played, Surely people would have gotten hurt for sure. If Slipknot would have played, people would have gotten killed. It would have been crazy. Yeah, it yeah. would have been bad, really bad. So we had to bail out, and we bailed out, and we get to the hotel, and Slipknot bailed out. We all left. We get to the hotel, turn on the TV, and there's our stage being trashed, and my drums on fire. <laughs> it's like, yeah, one of my cabinets got put in the bonfire as well. But I, <laughs> most of most of um, most of the rest of the band's stuff was too heavy for them to fuck around with you know they, <laughs> but the grand they tried to drag a bass the cabinet the stage. yeah <laughs> they they dumped some of it right off the edge of the stage but we retrieved it the next day it, it was crazy so back to your original question that was the last show that we yeah. didn't play so that was quite a precursor and some foreshadowing for the shit show that was going to be 2020 then holy <laughs> yeah. fucking shit man yeah it's actually a joke you know, we were joking about that. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, everything's just falling apart. You know, um, the the Mexico show and then pandemic. It's been a crazy year. Well, and, Will, you know, our I, tour I, got canceled, too. In yeah. Europe. Well, I, uh, I've i made this joke several times. Will, I didn't have to get a chance to kind of fill you in because um, I was talking to Troy before you jumped on that... Um, in February, WAF got sold and got taken off the air, and it's what? been gone. Yeah, and so sign of the times, man. Right. So we've like, been making the joke that that was what triggered the apocalypse <laughs> and the shit show of 2020, because AAF right. going off the air just like triggered this domino effect, and it's just been a nightmare ever since. So if we could just convince somebody to put AAF back on the air and get me back in a radio station, everything else will be go back to normal. Everything will be righted. 
Yeah, we need to exactly. buy AAF and put it back together. Seriously, I buy a Powerball <laughs> ticket twice a week just in case. I'm like, if I win, can you imagine if I had control over a radio station and I get to be the boss of it? Be the best radio station on yeah, the planet. <laughs> well, that sure. was part of the reason why I was excited to talk to you guys. I talked to Amy and I was like, you know, I'm going to talk to Will and Troy and I, I go back so far with those guys that they... Um, I know them before they were even in Evanescence. Way before. So because I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys on the last couple days of WAF, I wanted to talk to you guys about some of the old memories that you have, some of the crazy shit. Because now the station's off the air. We can dig out all the bad shit and nobody can fire us because they already fired us. Well, yeah, exactly. You can, it's carte blanche. You yeah. can do whatever you want. Yeah, the names I, of, I'm I pretty sure. I was thinking sure. about this. When yeah. I knew that we were going to do this interview, I was thinking about, I think I was up in that station maybe four or five times with probably three or four different bands. And I remember some of the things that we did there and would be so, so politically incorrect and not acceptable in today's day and age. At you all. you were playing drums for Tommy Lee on the I, solo record. I knew record. this was coming up. <laughs> I knew this was coming up. And when he came up to the studio, I called a bunch of um, professional dancers. Actually, yeah, I entertainers. Can call, oh yeah, they're strippers. It's a podcast. I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> so we called a bunch of strippers and we built a drum set out of naked women. And Tommy did a drum solo on them with his hands. Yeah, it was a boot, booty bongos. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was thinking about that. I was like, there is just no way that that would fly these days, you know? Well, at all. it could because it was my show. And I think there are things that when you're you trying to be- You put it together. You're a female. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's like there are- <laughs> So wait, let's let's say this. <laughs> let's just say this. If if AAF comes back on or whatever, we're in the Boston area. That means that you have to bring Amy and Jen into the studio and get dude and booty bongos. That's right. Hell dude yeah, booty bongos. <laughs> <laughs> Tanks and balls everywhere. You know what? We're equal opportunity with me uh, and you guys. Boys. You guys have known me for a really long time and coming up in the genre of rock in the 90s and even before, but definitely in the mid to late 90s when rock really went crazy, Yeah, there weren't a lot of girls around. And if there were girls around, you had to be willing to accept a certain amount of shenanigans, I'll call it. Right. And you got to have thick skin about it because... At the end of the day, it's rock and roll. It's kind of what it's... I I say this all the time. Rock and roll wouldn't exist if women weren't bitches. <laughs> That's a fact. That's and a, so a fact. for That's as funny. much as we are the catalyst for a lot of the inspiration, it, it definitely is intimidating. I remember back in the early... I mean, I was at AAF for 29 years. I was there for seven years before I got on the air full time. And so I was around through the the early and mid-90s, and then I got on the air full-time in 98. So that was the heyday. I mean, you talked about Limp Bizkit and Woodstock 99. Like, I was neck deep in it at that point. And you had to be able to to hold your own. Hell yeah, it was. Yeah, great time to be in it. And think about how mellow, like, by... 
let's say by the 80s hair metal standards, how mellow things were in the late 90s compared to those standards. I oh, mean, and there was no way you were getting caught in the 80s doing anything. Can you imagine nothing. With, with Twitter and TikTok and <laughs> Snapchat and all of that now? Yeah. How anybody would have gotten away with anything back then? It would have it's been a whole different scene. Totally. Completely. Sure. I mean, it was just like, talk about no um, no limits. I mean, and, you know, having played with some of these guys that were successful back then, and just hearing some of the things that those guys got away with, it's like, how did you get away with that? And then it's like, there were no camera oh, yeah. phones. It's no, no, no internet, no yeah. camera phones. You know, it's just yeah. like, it is what it is. So yeah, so so that's one of the things. I mean, we did the booty bongos at lunchtime live on the radio, so it's yes. not like that was a secret. But I really wanted to talk about what memories you have of of the shows that AAF put on and just some of the, you know, just because the station's not there anymore. I mean, I was there for 29 of its 50 years and it's been my entire adult life up until this year. And yeah. so it's like, I want these stories to still, like I can't pretend like that station didn't exist because it was amazing for a really long time. I mean, it broke a lot of bands. I mean, it was like a taste-making station. Like if you're, like I remember like with Scrape, you know, and uh, Bill Burr at the time was our radio guy for uh, RCA. And uh, we did a show for you guys with, uh, God, who was it for, man? It was in, a, in an arena in Worcester. That's what it was I remember. Probably the, we used to call it the Centrum. Now it's the DCU Center or it was the Palladium, which is it like the a, theater. Centrum, I think. Yeah. And I want to say it was like us, Mudvayne, um, dis, uh, Disturbed, because they were just starting to break really big, and it was like a few bands like that. And um, I remember our, our radio guy said, you know, if you guys are at, you guys are added to this station, that's a really big deal. Like this is a taste making station, and I mean, it was a big deal because our our band basically coming from nothing, we sold like. I I want to say like 87,000 copies the first week. And it was because of radio stations like AAF that people knew who we were. And I don't know what happened after that. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know. <laughs> but anyways, I do remember that it was a huge part of, of, um, of like me being introduced to the industry and like what radio could do for your band. It was it's been Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Well, that's, you know, I met Carrie. And what year was it? Was it? I don't remember. It was when Seven Dust was recording Home at Long Farm. It was like 98 or something. Yeah, 98, 99. You you were there for that? I was there because I played on a song called... um, Not you. I'm talking about Carrie. I know know that story. Dude, I was there. Oh, I got a story for you in a hot minute. Let Troy finish and then I'll tell you a story about that session. Well, yeah. I just remember uh, meeting you at the studio up there and, and you... I gave you some music and we, my band wasn't signed yet. And as soon as we got a deal with MCA, you started playing us on the station, you know, and um, it was a big, you know, push for us. It helped us a lot. So yeah, your band was called was, Double Drive yeah. and I still listen to those records all the time. That's a I, great fucking record, man. And I ran that the Boston one. Marathon last year. And I will tell you, you Carrie. Yeah. Come on, man. And I made because I'm a fucking music nerd. 
I made a playlist of music that would go in succession for the for the route. And yeah. one of the songs that was there to help me towards the finish was Imprint. Awesome. Oh, wow. And I, and yeah. I listened to that while I was running like the last couple miles because the Boston Marathon is a fucking bear. Did you, you finished it? You ran the whole thing? Come on, man. Damn, I didn't know that's you ran awesome. like that. That's six, like, that's six hours. Tw- listen, I'm no John Connolly. Okay. <laughs> I, He's I doing finished, like Iron Man stuff. Didn't he? Yeah. That's a whole other thing, but I finished it. I mean, I raised $17,500 for a veterans charity to run that's it. Great. They had a live broadcast at the end waiting for me. So I didn't have a choice. Like I had to finish. <laughs> But it took me six hours, 24 minutes, and 50 seconds, but I finished it. That's yeah. a long-ass time to be running. Yeah, it's a long-ass time, man. In the rain, <laughs> and then it got hot, and then it got windy, and then it rained again. It was fucking miserable. Uh, what was the condition of your feet at the finish of that? My feet were fine. So really? they do, Yeah, so they and do And what this brand of running shoes are you wearing? New Balance. That's yeah, a, that's a testament to that. Hey, that's a Massachusetts company, isn't it? That's right. Well, yeah. so is so is Converse and oh, New Balance. Yeah, all those Chuck Taylors those rock stars have been wearing for years are made right here in the Commonwealth. You should have run it in some Chuck Taylors. <laughs> I you definitely would not have you finished. <laughs> your your feet answer, would have came off. Yeah, the answer to that question would have been that your feet were bare <laughs> on the bottom. Yeah. Muscle. So we used to, so the marathon pre-bombing used to have these military guys that in full rucksack would ruck the marathon in uniform with the rucksacks on. That's crazy. Awesome. And then after the marathon got bombed, the they call it the tough ruck. The tough ruck wasn't allowed on the course because they had these giant rucksacks because you got to go through checkpoints and all of that stuff now. Right. So what they did was they moved the tough ruck to the Battle Road Trail, which is literally the grounds where the revolution was like the shot heard round the world, the British right. are coming, Paul Revere. That's a that's a historical park. It's a federally protected park. And they do the tough ruck in there. So the so after the bombing happened, the unit that I was embedded in Afghanistan with was called up and activated to protect the city after the bombing when they were hunting for the terrorists. The next year, the first marathon after the bombing, the tough ruck was along the Battle Road Trail, and all the guys I was in Afghanistan with did it. So I did the tough ruck in combat boots with 50 pounds on my back for four years, which is the Boston Marathon. Yeah. And that helped me get ready to actually run the actual race. So technically, I've done the marathon five times. Wow. Good Lord. You're I think we're about the same age. We're 29, right? So that's yeah, 29 and a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the body doesn't work exactly the way that it used to, but it's still holding up okay. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about mine. <laughs> no, yours. I'm... Yours isn't holding up okay. No, I'm okay, but I, I I know it by this. Like it used to be no fear, like going in the water, going surfing. Like it could be, you know, five feet overhead. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And now, if it's you know, if it's if it's head high, I'm like, man, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy that you see on the news. If 49 year old man washed upon washed on shore <laughs> was lost surfing, I, I can't do it anymore. It's like it's I can't hold my breath for two minutes like I used to be able to if I need to. I know scene. we're talking in circles, but um, I did an episode of the podcast. I was telling Troy that had Mark Morton 
from Lamb of God and Doc yeah. Coyle from Bad Wolves and Chris Trainer from Bush, and we did a guitar player roundtable. And Chris. one of the things, yeah, it was really great. And one of the things that came up was, what advice to protect your health would you give to your younger self because of how hard on your body playing music is, both behind the kit and being a guitar player? So I'm interested in what both of your answers to that question would be. I would have so many things to tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a long list. It'd be like a scroll. Um, you know, I I started drinking and smoking cigarettes when I was a kid. Like, ridiculous. I wish I could have told myself back then that was a bad idea. <laughs> because I can feel, I, you know, as I get older, even though I don't really smoke that much anymore every once in a while if i have a couple of beers i'll have a smoke but um i can feel that you know it's taking a toll on me i have to we, me and will were doing the uh insanity sanity workout for a while and i was out of breath like super bad even after doing it for like three months it's hardcore i'm sure i damaged my lungs and my brain <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mine would be like um God, man, like stretch. Like I would tell myself, you've got to stretch. You know, you've got to do some yoga and you've got to stretch um, and drink a lot more water because like yeah. it's the neck, it's the shoulders that are killing me now, you know? Well, that's, think, as a singer or a guitar player, you can kind of hide. The drummer, which somebody like Lars, you know, who's kind of yeah. set this bar for heavy music and playing it at a high level, like... At his age. That's what I mean. Yeah. There's a guy like Charlie Watts or somebody that's just kind of back there doing his thing. No disrespect to Charlie Watts, but like your style of playing is different. And yeah, you've got to totally. be able to maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Watts plays golf. And, you know, I respect it. It's beautiful. You know, it's funky and all that stuff. But, you know, Lars, Morgan, Tommy, myself, a lot of these guys, we play, we play fucking football. And yeah. it's, it's a totally Shannon different Larkin. thing. Shannon Larkin. You know, I've had a, I, last time I saw Shannon, um, we had a really good conversation about it because, you know, I mean, it's public knowledge. He had a stroke um, several years back. And it was yeah. from, we talked about it because, uh, and Roy Mayorga also, same deal. He had a mild stroke. And um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll bring it to the trifecta. Uh, Terry, the guitar player that was in Evanescence Forever from Cold. Um, you know, he had a stroke. Now, he had a stroke for different reasons, but both Roy and Shannon had strokes from slinging their head too hard, and it tore the aortic nerve. And if you see Shannon now, he doesn't sling it like he used to. He plays incredible, and he still looks killer, but he's not, like, abusing himself. And we talked about it, and he's kind of the same conversation. Like, he's like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that to myself for so many years. Um, and I kind of look at it the same way, but it's instinctual. Like when you get up there, it, you just go, it's a feeling thing. I, I don't get up and play and go, Oh, I, okay. Now, you know, now I'm going to do this move and I'm going to do that move. It's just, it's the music that moves you. And for him, my question for him was like, well, how are you just not doing that? He's like, it was hard. He had to really tell himself and have his tech basically grab his leg really hard. If he started to do it, to sling his head too hard, like, Hey, no, no, you can't do it, man. And I'm not there yet, but 
I don't know. I don't want to stroke out either. <laughs> well, yeah. it's 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 trying to extend those those years that yeah. you know back when we all got into it, it was like being 29 and some experience like we all are now seemed so <laughs> far off in the distance that you weren't even yeah. worried about it. And, you know, to use a local hero, at least, you know, he used to be Tom Brady, like just trying to hold on to those <laughs> last couple years in the sun, man. Hey, Kerry, real quick. He's my hero. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a yeah. I'm a Bucks fan. Oh, Go I'm, yeah, I'm sure you're loving Woo! it right now. I'm sure <laughs> all those Brady jokes, you, you got to swallow oh, them all man. back down now that he's your guy, right? Y'all just wait for those Bucks this year, buddy. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> But you're right. Me. Like. He's an inspiration because that guy is killing it at his age. It's like Lars killing it at his age, you know. And let's, hey, we can all be honest. Lars was no choir boy. You know, Lars had a good fucking time, you know. And I don't know how he is now, but I know that he had a good time. All and, those guys had a good time back in the day. It's absolutely. amazing that they're all still... Like that was one of the things we were talking about. How does that got brought up this conversation? How does yeah. Jason Newstead get out of bed with the way he used to whip his head around during oh those Metallica God. sets back in the day? Well, think right. about this. He had he had some problems. He had bad back issues and neck issues. And I mean, I he uh, I did the Gigantour with um with Device with David Raymond. Yeah, A and I's band and um, uh, Newstead was on that that bill. And I got to hang out with Jason a lot because Mike Mushock was playing guitar for him. So, um, and I got to talk to him. We he, and he talked about his back and like how we, he doesn't know how he did it, you know, and he couldn't do it now. I mean, he's got like pins and stints in his neck. And I've spine. been fortunate, like, I guess, because I, I don't really have any back or neck or any issues of that yours is your internal kind. organs yeah i've destroyed myself internally but um <laughs> you know the just the muscles and the organs no bones no joints uh yeah i've never had any of those issues i Which do is get incredible pretty serious rock neck though yeah he's because he still slings his neck around and also my riser is four feet off the ground he'll sky jump off of my riser you know and still does it i mean not bad for a 30-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> With a few years' experience. <laughs> so so to go back to the Seven Dust home era, like the late 90s era, so they were one of many bands in that time frame that recorded out at Longview Farms. And the yeah. studio keeps coming up in the podcast because so many bands recorded there at that time and so many bands have these crazy stories about it being haunted and the crazy parties that were there it's and a cool ass place i it's thought a really it was a awesome. cool place yeah. and uh because i was on the air at night back then and they were so far out in the boonies the guy the seven dust guys would call me at like eight or nine o'clock and give me a shopping list I'd send the intern out from the radio station to hit, hit we call it the packy, but the, the package store, the liquor store, and the grocery store. They'd come back, and then I would leave work at midnight, drive the 25 minutes or whatever to get to Longview with all their groceries. That's awesome. And then I would stay up all night with them because they always recorded at night. 
So I would stay up all night and watch them record and hang out. And then when they would get ready to go to bed at like seven, eight in the morning, I would go home, go to bed, get up and do it all over again the next day. (laughs) And this is I'm not talking out of school because the last time Seven Dust came to town, LJ told this story at the House of Blues on stage. The one night I decided to sleep at the studio, I slept on a couch like in like the common area. And I just curled up on the leather couch and went to sleep. And I woke up because we had been partying really hard and it wasn't safe for me to drive. And I woke up (laughs) and the aforementioned John Connolly mistook the living room as the bathroom. I love these stories. (laughs) And And I woke up to this noise of water hitting you know, the glossy pages of a magazine. <laughs> right. And he was peeing on the coffee table literally in front of me. And that's what woke me up. Oh, shit. They've and got then, a lot of those stories. In that yeah. They've got a lot of pee-pee stories. Yeah. <laughs> and then you remember Dennis, who was their tour manager forever and a day. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. a mask guy. And he and I have known him forever. I went and woke Dennis up. And I was like, dude, you got... Because by now, John is back asleep, but in a chair. And he hadn't quite secured the landing gear (laughs) (laughs) and so Dennis went into the kitchen and got salad spoons like wooden kitchen spoons and went over and rectified the landing gear situation oh my god that's a whole new meaning to tossing salad (laughs) (laughs) and then The next day, John had no memory of it. And they're all like, dude, you done fucked up because she's going to go to work at the radio station and this shit's going to be all over the air in Boston. And so it comes up. So I'm standing at the Seven Dust show watching the show with Mark Tremonti next to me. And he and I are watching Seven Dust and LJ starts telling the John Connolly P story. And Tremonti turns to me and he goes, there's no way this is a true story. That's my best friend. If he peed on you, I would have known about it. And I was like, dude, it happened exactly it like happened. LJ is telling these 3,000 people right now. <laughs> oh my God. And sure, Mark was like, like, oh, yeah, he, he loved he it. at him like, the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck yeah, up. Really? <laughs> and I'm just shrugging my shoulders because I'm like, this is the one time I'm not the one that brought it up. LJ brought it up, and it just always comes up now. So That's so awesome, man. That was just That's one so of awesome. the many, like, and I remember Clint introducing me to Troy and saying, like, this is my boy and he's got this great band and we're, you know, they're trying to get a record deal. And I remember, I think I might still have the original double drive demo that you gave me. Which they were called MK ultra then, right? Yeah. Yeah. MK ultra. Yeah. We recorded a demo at, um, some friends of our studio and we didn't have a record deal or anything. They were helping us out. We weren't really paying for the studio time, but when we got our deal, we, you know, gave them a chunk of money and, um, but yeah, that was a long ass time ago. Yeah, it's like, so So I wanna bridge the gap for people that are listening between the early days of Scrape and MKUltra and Double Drive when we all met and the journeys to how you ended up in Evanescence because you guys have played with so many different bands and your story kind of goes all over the place. Not by design. <laughs> I, would have, yeah. I would have been cool, like, if Scrape was world famous, you know, and it had just been that band. I mean, you know, the, fortunately and unfortunately, that didn't happen, you know, and you just, 
I think that, like, I met Troy and Clint and Corey back in, we're talking 1989. Yeah. And we were playing uh, opposing clubs in Panama City Beach during spring break. They were playing at La Vila and my band was playing at Spinnaker. I think we met first in Fayetteville, though. Oh, right. Before you guys were even out as a band. They came yeah. to see my band because I was playing with some guys that were older. <laughs> my main thing is that we've been together a long time and always said and grew up playing in the same clubs together even playing opposing stages and one day we're going to play together and then you know darty day happened whatever but um i think that when we've all had the survival instinct that comes from that time and i think that for us like scrape didn't work out all right i still love to play music i'm still going to play music i don't know how when i'm going to do it troy's same thing you know and double drive was signed before scrape was signed by at least a year and um i remember asking him hey how'd you guys pull this off and you know it's just like we've all kind of helped each other out all through these years i know clint obviously helped troy out helped me out clint is who put me in stuck mojo with Corey. i mean we've just been there for each other and if i think if i spend too much time thinking about holy shit we're so connected and have been for so long but i mean i just think that we're all like i like i said i would have been cool with just being in one band but the upside is, is that I've gotten to play with so many different cool people, you know, and yeah. ultimately was able to play with these guys that I considered to be my brothers. I mean, we're lifers. Um, I don't know that Dark New Day will ever do anything again. It'd be cool as shit if it did. Um, but we did get to have that experience, and that's pretty cool. And we're all still in it. I just talked to Clint maybe three weeks ago and just said, man, I mean, who'd have thought that, you know, four guys standing on the pool deck watching a wet t-shirt contest in 1989 <laughs> – would still be doing this, you know, at this level, and we're still relevant, you know, and it's incredible. It's a blessing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Last time I talked to him when his solo record came out, we, I, the radio station was still on the air, and we we talked, and I said, I said, Clint, I want to say something to you, and I don't want it to, I don't want you to think that I'm being condescending. I'm not like, please don't read. I, this is just genuine from me to you. Yeah, I'm so proud of you right for the demons that you've tackled for what you've gone through from not being in seven dust which was you know so hard for him but also for everyone that loved him and the fans and everything and now to be doing so well not only with seven dust but being able to bring these other projects to life and that he's healthy and raising a beautiful family i said i'm just so proud of you because the road of rock and roll is paved with people that weren't able to figure it all out. Yeah. A millions. I mean, not yeah. millions, but a whole lot of them. That's for sure. And he, yeah. yeah, he turned it around big time. He's like a different guy and he's been, you know, working on himself for a long time now. It's hard to believe it's been so long, but um, I'm proud of him too. He's yeah. a great guy I, I, and I, I've yeah. known him for a really long time. I mean, we were, kids you know learning how to play guitar and living in Fayetteville North Carolina and we went through a lot of this business together so yeah it's, I feel very fortunate to know all the people that I know in this business and meeting Will and um, you know starting a band Dark New Day is one of my favorite bands I was ever in I was loved the music in that band and it would be cool if we did something again like, I remember, Will, when you came up with Tommy. Yeah. And I was like, how the hell 
do you, I guess you could ask the same question of Taylor Hawkins, how the hell do you climb behind the kit of a project <laughs> when your front man is such an amazing drummer? And I remember asking you that question yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. And you were like, I mean, it's, it's intimidating as fuck, but I'm doing it. What that, it was like, it was a, it was a chain of events that kind of happened with that. And it really kind of put into my mindset, like, okay, that whole saying of, if you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. And, you know, I'm not, I'd be lying if I said when I walked into that audition that, you know, and I was flying out there for that, that I just, my butterflies in my stomach and I felt like I was going to throw up. But the reality is, is that, what happened was when I went in for this audition, it was Marty O'Brien, the bass player, who... He's a New England was, guy, a Rhode Island and, and, guy. Yeah, that's right, Rhode Island. He he was out on the Extreme Steel Tour with Pantera and Slayer and Static X and Scrape filling in for Static X, and that's when I met him. And I found out that he was filling in for Tony and that he was actually the bass player of Methods of Mayhem, and I'd never met Tommy. <clears throat> so, of course, I wanted to pick his brain, like, man, what's it like hanging out with that dude? And we had a really quick conversation... And at the time, Stephen Perkins from James was playing for Tommy. And I, as Marty left my bus, I was like, hey, man, you know, if, if Stephen shits the bed, give me a call. I was like, ha, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> Six months later, he tracks me down. He calls me up, you know, through a person, through another person, through another person. I get this answering, this uh, message on my answering machine. Yes, it was an answering machine. <laughs> my cell phone. <laughs> doodle -doo, the Wayne's World, go back in time thing. I know, man. Well, think about that. It's so crazy. And uh, I was like, hey, man, we're auditioning people tomorrow, man. You got to get out of here. And I'm like, what the fuck? And um, I was like, well, who's out there? I'm not going to, you know, I'm broke. I'm like, I'm not going to spend the last money that I had to fly out there if you've got, you know, a ringer. He's like, no, it's nobody good. You don't worry about it. Just come out. I'm like, great. Spend my last 600 bucks, fly out there. I, I go into third encore. There's like, it's a cavalcade of fucking people in this fucking hallway. And as I walk in, you know, all these guys are doing their thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And so uh, I'm, I'm hearing who's in, in the room. And I'm like, they're fucking crushing it. I'm like, I'm looking around like, who the fuck is that? It was Brian Titchy, who's not a nobody. He's a bad motherfucker. And I'm like, thanks, man. So, so Viggy, Tommy's assistant, walks out. They're going to take a little break. He walks out. And he's looking down the, the hallway to make sure he knows you know, everybody's checked in. And he comes up to me, you know, big Italian guy's like, hey, who the fuck are you? I'm like, I'm Will. I'm Marty's friend. I'm, I'm out here to audition. He looks on his paper. He's like, you're not on the list. Get the fuck out of here. I'm like, no, dude. I'm, I'm serious, man. And he's like, no, you got to fucking go. And he calls security. He's like, hey, come get this fucking asshole. He's got to get out of here. I'm like, oh, no, here we go. You know. And I'm just, what are you going to do, you know? At the right moment, at the right time, Marty and Tommy walk out, and they see Viggy, like, about to crush me. And Marty's like, hey, 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 that's my buddy, man. That's the guy I was telling you about. He's like, we found the fucking list. And he's like, no, that's my buddy. He's like, you just got saved, dude. You're going last. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. And so at that point, I'm like, I didn't even think I was going to get to play. So come to find out, when they, I finally do. So I'm... The last guy in the hallway, and I hear this guy playing in there. He doesn't sound like he's playing very well, but the only thing that I notice is that through the door, I can hear they stop playing, and I hear this somebody go, Wah! scream. And I'm like, that's weird. So he leaves. They call me in, and in the room is Tommy, the, the band, but it's Tommy, it's Stephen Perkins, 
and they're going to put Brian Titchy on an electronic kit. So I'm playing with three other drummers that are phenomenal, and that's my turn to get up. So I get up on this, the drums, and they're like, hey, man, check this out. Tommy walks over to me, and it's a picture of the guy that was just in there. And it's this drummer blowing fire like Gene Simmons. And <laughs> <laughs> so what had happened, the scream that I heard was that guy at the end of the song blew fire. <laughs> so so that this guy blew fire, man. How are you going to beat him? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm going to shoot rockets out of my ass. <laughs> so, and he, he loved it. And then we played. And, you know, I mean, I started playing. I just put my head down. Fuck it. I don't care. Everybody's looking at me. I don't give a shit at this point and just went for it and um you know it worked out you could have suggested butt bongos it probably would have gotten <laughs> you the, day, the gig too yeah i mean you know I, that would have probably sealed the deal a little sooner <laughs> but hey i foresee that we're going to be at aaf with mrs carrie and there's going to be butt bongos there's going to be butt bongos man like we just got to do it we're doing it dude <laughs> so so then obviously with your multiple bands, the both of you, you end up in Evanescence together. And when I got that word that I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And you you've been in the band now for quite a while. And yeah. you over 12 survive, years. Yeah. So you survive a riot in Mexico because I'm trying to get us <laughs> up to like modern day now. And now. You're locked down. So where did you ride out the lockdown with your families? Like individually, where were you guys? Uh, Orlando for me. I mean, we were just home. I mean, because I was doing shows with um, in between Evanescent stuff. I've been doing shows with Slaughter and um, just, you know, having a good time, living oh, some memories. I had the biggest guys. crush on Mark Slaughter in high school. I know, right? It was like <laughs> fucking painful. He's such a good dude, man. He's still got the pipes and, you know, so it's, it's fun to go out there and play. But I was doing that and then all of a sudden all that stopped, you know, and it was just we were all home. And we had actually gotten together and done four songs already in February. Yeah. I think like right before yeah. everything went to hell. And um, and then the idea was to go and do the European tour and then we were going to come back. And then that just got shot to shit. And, you know, initially, I think I remember that it was like, oh, yeah, lockdown's going to be for a couple of weeks. Okay, well, now it's four weeks. Well, now it's two months. And then things just, it's just like, yeah. oh, my God. This initially, is we were going to go back over in September. We figured that'll be plenty of time. But then uh, now it's September of next year. Yeah. 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 You guys rescheduled your tour dates and they're, you know, for 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Troy, where did you ride out everything? Where Where are you? I'm in Atlanta. I was just hanging out at my house, you know, in Atlanta. I got a pool, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for like the first, like for the first like two months, you couldn't even get on the beach to surf. They wouldn't allow you to go surf, which is really asinine because if you think of it, about it, that's a pretty um, socially distanced activity. And you're in salt water. I mean, you're not going to catch anything, but they weren't allowing anybody on the beach or in the water at all. So I think they were worried that. that if you got hurt, that they were going to, you know, that that there would be no way to treat you like up here. Yeah, the virus probably. got so bad quickly in New England mm -hmm. that the fear was, you know, the hospitals aren't going to be able to handle anything but covid patients. So, right. yeah. You know, if any, because I'm a skydiver, so like I just want to go skydiving, and it's like, well, yeah, but 
you know, if you get hurt, how are they going to treat you safely? Is there going to be medical equipment? You're going to expose, you know, whatever. And I mean, they finally opened up the drop zones up, you know, around the country, just like now you're able to go surfing and stuff. Yeah. Thank God. It was squirrely for a while. It never got super bad here. It took a minute for it to get here, actually. Everything was pretty cool around here for a while, while you guys up in the Northeast were dealing with it hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad up there, man. Now it's it's good up here. I mean, it's, it's not perfect by any means, but they were really strict with it. The problem is, which is something I wanted to talk to you guys about, is is the gig economy is being hit disproportionately hard yeah meaning you know people that work on tips in in bars and restaurants you know live music venues all of the techs the support staff all the roadies the bands and the and the ripple effect goes out to then you know the 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 radio people i mean that part of the business, we just had three legendary bars right on Boylston Street that are on the route, like the finish line of the marathon, that are they're going out of business yeah. because they, they can't sustain. And it's not like Boston doesn't have college kids. You know what I mean? So you got bars <laughs> going out of business in Boston? Yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, if you think about it, it's un- it's unfucking real man. Yes. Yeah. Sad. I think that it's like it's really sad because, um, you know, like I think about the crew guys that are such a massive part of this. And I saw a post that somebody made that it's just like, you know, for any type of an arena show that you go to, you're literally looking at 500 people that are employed for one show in a, in a town. Now, some of those people are obviously with the traveling uh, crew and band and all that stuff. So they account for some of that. But then there's so many local people from the ushers to the local hands to the people selling concessions to the usher. I mean, you just name it, like to the, the radio The local electricians, the fire staff, the all security, all everything. Yeah. yeah, all of it. And it's just, it's fucking devastating. And, you know, one of America's biggest imp- or exports is our entertainment industry. You know, it's our music, it's our concerts, it's our movies, it's our TV shows. All of that shit stopped. And like, you know, I just saw today that um, the new Batman movie with the Robert Pattinson guy or whatever, they started production three days and then he tests positive. They just stopped it again. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know what happens next. And I don't know that um, and I don't want to get political, but I don't know that things are being handled right. I think they're not because I think about our crew. Let's just go with that. That's real simple. Our crew and like these guys dedicate their lives to doing this just like we do. And I think the thing is, is that they, you know, when Evanescence isn't touring, these guys all have other things that they do in their field in the business. They're all able to do other things. And when this happened, it's like hitting the brakes hard. Now, now what the fuck are they doing? You know, I know that my drum tech is out digging self uh, cell tower ditches to run cell tower lines right now in the Florida heat because that's what he's got to do. You know, um, yeah, he said he actually um, got methane poisoning this week because they're digging out um, in the swamps and the methane oh. comes out when they go down far enough. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. What's happening? Talk to me about for for somebody that's not a musician, because I always want to make sure that for people like myself that have no musical ability at all. Talk to me as musicians about the importance of a really good 
crew. Like how important a good drum tech is, how important a good guitar tech is for you to be able to give the the best Evanescence performance that you can. It's a total game changer. I mean, I remember the days of touring when I was my own guitar tech. was a nightmare because you've got to drive the van. You've got to settle, you know, at the end of the night. You got to drive through the night to try and follow the tour bus to get to the next city where you're going to play. Then you got to set all your shit up in the morning, do the sound check, change strings, do all that stuff. And I mean, you're wearing all those different hats. If we didn't have all those people to do all that, we wouldn't be able to do things like the interviews that we do and, you know, things that we do on the road because they're there to take care of that stuff. And I think that a, a really good crew, and I've said this to everybody, like, and I've seen it with my own eyes, but like, for example, take your sound guy. Like, you can be God's own band. You can have the best songs, and you can be the tightest band on the fucking planet. But if your sound guy sucks, you suck. And yeah. and there's all these little components that make up what comes to that sound guy. And the guy, the people that are handling that are your drum techs, your guitar techs, your your lighting techs who see or help everybody see it, make it come to life. And they all got to be operating on the same plane. <clears throat> and if you've got a great crew, it elevates your show. It elevates your performance. Absolutely. And the way that people perceive it. And it breaks, it makes or breaks bands. Like I've seen a lot of bands that had all the ingredients and then they go out and tour and they're a horrible live band. And in some bands, mind you, are just horrible live bands, but some bands are really good live bands, but it doesn't transcend because their crew's not happening. It can make or break a band. It really can. Yeah. And, you know, one question that I've always asked musicians over the years is that spinal tap moment, right? Where they get stuck in the pod. <laughs> when you're your own guitar tech and you're out there playing a show with 15, 20, 30,000 people watching. There's nothing not worse. Having there's not having a person there to solve your that, yeah. that a can recognize the problem before it becomes an emergency, but then have a plan to fix it so that you can continue doing your job. I mean, what are you going to do? Shrug your shoulders at Amy and be like, sorry, I can't play this solo because <laughs> my guitar's broken. Yeah, it's really good that our bass player, I mean, Tim, has a bass tech. Because yeah, that really is what he does. <laughs> if, if there's a problem. He, he literally he just like stands his there. Stops him. He picks he up his phone. Just goes, <laughs> and stands there and just waits for somebody to come fix it. And I'm looking at him like, what the fuck, man? Like, look at your shit. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> he starts texting. He starts texting. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? I love that guy to death. But this is one of those things where you look at it, you're like, yeah, thank God he's got a good tech because <laughs> we'd be lost. <laughs> We were in the studio on this record, and he, he had to go do something. Um, his family was in town, and he left early one night. We wanted to keep working. And we we uh, were trying to figure out how to turn his bass rig on and couldn't figure it out. So Nick, our producer, unplugged it and just plugged straight into the cabinet. So Tim comes in the next day, and lo and behold, Tim's bass tech is not there. And so Tim is literally like a monkey tapping on an airplane like <clears> – <throat> <clears throat> like you, I'm like, dude, dude, you don't know how to plug that in. He's like, nope. <laughs> Didn't know how to turn it on. Didn't know what button to push to 
put on a setting. I mean, he literally did not know anything about how to, how to plug in his bass. I mean, am I lying, Troy? <laughs> yeah, that's a true story. <laughs> he really did not realize. And I'm looking, I'm like, really, dude? You don't know how to turn on your bass? <laughs> he's like, no, man. And what's so funny is, is that for him, it's, he's like, you know, Charlie Brown, like, whatever. <laughs> and he's an incredible bass player, guitar player, musician, all these things, but can't turn on his bass rig. Well, I've had to learn, you know, in the six months or so that AAF went off the air, building my own studio so that I could start my podcast and start working on all of this syndication stuff and all of these things moving forward. I used to have an IT guy and an engineer. Right. And so if something broke in the studio, I got to be like, I don't know how to fix it. And now, you know, I call my studio MCHQ. And now if something breaks in MCHQ, I have to figure it the fuck out. And it's a learning curve from hell. Yeah, yeah. But figuring see, you're it doing all it. out. That's I have the thing. to. And now that's the thing about Tim is like Tim can't he didn't come up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He came up hard like we did. Like at some point, I'm sure he knew how to plug his shit in. <laughs> I know he did. But but I don't know, man. It's just like it's the funniest thing, man. It's, it's one of those muscles. If you don't use it for a while, know, you totally. lose it. Like, I can fix my stuff, you know. I can totally track it down and fix it. Troy, he can hunt it down. He can fix it. Jen, same thing. If something's wrong, she knows what's up. Tim is just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> just I'm going to sit here and play until it comes back home. <laughs> it's the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever seen. The way you guys are recording this record, I, I talked to Amy about it, is is a little non-traditional. Like you said, you did four songs, and then you, you were supposed to go on tour, and then you didn't, and... Um, we were joking that the idea of building a trailer park in her backyard for all of you guys <laughs> was there for a while to try and figure out how you guys were going to quarantine and be able yeah. to get together and record. And I think it's really interesting that you guys have already released singles, but you still don't even know when the, she's literally working on the record. That's why I couldn't get yeah. you all synced up at the same time. Yeah. Right. And you don't even know when your record's coming out, but you've already released songs. Yeah. Well, but those were from the first four. And yeah, okay. We um again like the whole plan, we had this whole plan, man, that was laid out how we were going to do it and then obviously all the crap happened and then um but we didn't want to not put some stuff out like we said we were going to do. It's been a long time between records. I mean, we did synthesis and that had two new songs on it, but it's been a long time since a body of work I think that represents, you know, traditional yeah. if you want to call it that evanescence and um, I think Amy felt like it was really important that, you know, hey, we need to give our fans something. And we all agree, like, absolutely. You know? And, you know, nowadays, I don't think it's that big of a deal um, because people don't consume music the same way that we did right. when I was growing up. People don't go out and buy an album, you know, and just live with it. They kind of, you know, get the songs as they come anyway. And then if they're interested, they can go and buy the album on iTunes or whatever. So Well, it's kind of gone back around because that's how those records were in the 50s. Like all those Motown yeah, songs yeah. came out as 45s. They, yeah, it was a, a single. And a side. Yeah. 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 Totally. And, and I think I'm sure Amy probably touched on this, that, you know, the first song that was supposed to come out was Use My Voice, which is the song that's out right now. Um, and it's... I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise because it was relevant when we wanted to put it out, but it's even more relevant now. Um, and we were able to give it the proper treatment video wise and everything else. But 
it just that's kind of how wasted on you and then the game is over came out um and i i don't know i think that like what troy was saying i think that we're okay i think it's cool that people are getting these first three songs there's another one left to come out and then we know what we're holding on to that's what's exciting for us is that we know what we have like because we went back in um we've worked on some ideas and a few different times and they were skeletal but we had the ideas and then when we got in with nick man these things came to fucking life and this record i mean everybody's oh it's the best record we've ever done i can i can put my left nut on it it's incredible <laughs> i mean this record is gonna blow people away it's so yeah. cool it's it's been really cool and this is really the first record that i've been a part of it from the start to the finish because the first album I recorded on was the uh, self-titled album, Ev3. And uh, I came in at the end. So they had already been writing for like a year. And then I just came back into the fold and I got writing credit on like four songs or something. But even those songs were almost mostly done. I like wrote a bridge and, you know, whatever. And um, so this has been really cool to be here for the whole process um all the writing sessions i mean we did we had a really good time at one of the sessions in canada um we spent a week we set up our gear in the living room of this house and we just jammed for a week in the living room and hung out and barbecued and drank beer it was awesome so yeah and that house was like 15 i think it was like 15 minutes away from where rush did uh moving pictures and I think some of permanent waves that picture of Neil Peart on the um, playing drums on the, on the lake. Yeah. There's drums are on the lake. It's yeah. like 15 minutes from this place. And I think it was kind of an omen because we like, I, I think 90% of what we came up with there is on this record. Yeah. That was what, a good we, writing know, session. The vibe yeah, was, was really so good there. Productive. I mean, it's well, cool, like, man. you know, we talk about what triggered the apocalypse and you bring up Neil Peart. I mean, he yeah. passed away before yeah. WAF went off the air as a drummer. Talk about his influence and what he, I mean, it's like, you don't, it's like, there isn't anything to say. It's just Neil Peart. Like he's one of those guys where it's like, what the hell do you say? Right? Yeah. There, it was like, it's like Bonham to me. It's like, there was one of him and only one. Yeah. And with Neil, it's the same thing. There was one of him and only one, and there won't be another one. Like it's just it's an anomaly, and there's a lot of great drummers out there, but these are guys that just really set the bar, period. And I think that what's interesting is like that Nick Raskulinix, our producer, he did the last two Rush albums that Rush did. He was very close with those guys. He mixed a lot of stuff, for live stuff for them. The guy that was a videographer for us in these sessions and uh, worked with Nick on his thing um, really came from the Rush camp and filming Rush. And um, I mean, when it happened, it's just like, A, we were all surprised. I'm sure you were, too, because it was not public knowledge that he was fighting that. Um, Nick knew. um, And we actually, I believe, had maybe just started mixing the chain when that happened, I think, back last year. Um, but anyways, when we were in the studio this last time, Nick and I had a couple of nights where after the sessions was over, uh, you know, we went in, we started listening to some, some stuff that he had of them playing and stuff like that. And one of the things that he had, because he had recorded 
something for Neil for a DW video. One of the things that he had was um, they were about to go back out on the rush, uh, the last rush tour they did, which I believe was R40 or something like yeah. that. I can't remember. And Neil was like, "Hey man, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, um, I'm gonna play through the set." So he said that Neil basically sat down behind the kit and played through a two and a half hour set just to practice while it was there. And Nick was like, okay, cool, man, no problem. And just hung out. And what's amazing about this is that Neil did this by memory. He didn't have any music coming into his headphones. Nothing. He just played the he whole set. He was playing the set by memory, by hearing the music in his head and just playing through a two and a half hour set. And not just a two and a half hour set, a two and a half hour rush set. Of drum Olympics, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. drum fucking Olympics. And he, and like Nick's got, you know, some, some, some stuff from that, you know, like some, you know, little video stuff. That's just a couple little things here and there that he's never going to share. It's just something that he has. And, but I, I was able to kind of listen to it and I'm just like, oh, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that's the kind of thing, like everybody knows on the surface that, you know, Neil was this incredible player, but then when you start to throw into the fact that he can do that and just play it like that to memory, and then also, by the way, he was the lyricist for the That's band. what I was just going to say, and he wrote all the, the lyrics, which know, for a drummer man. is not normal. the norm. No, not at all. He was not He was not a drummer. He was a drummer. He was a percussionist. <laughs> he was incredible, yeah, man. percussionist. Yeah, it's hard, man. And then, like, you know, another one, and I'll bring him up because he definitely deserves a, a nod. Another incredible drummer is um, Frankie Benali. You know, we just lost him. And I know. If they, if uh, For people that never saw that guy play live, you never really got to fully experience that guy because he was like the second coming of Bonham. That guy's foot was heavier than lead. And just such an incredible player and um, fucking cool guy. And it's another one, man. I know 2020 is not let up at all. Like it, it really, it just keeps pushing. I joked with Amy and just to warn you guys, because you didn't hear my interview with her, um, we, I may or may not have given her some inspiration on some new Evanescence music because she was not aware that the Pentagon had confirmed those UFO sightings by the fighter jets were real. She was like, right. no, they didn't. I go, no, Amy, UFOs are real. Like it's, it, it happened this year, but in the midst of everything else, 2020, it just kind of got glossed over that Tom DeLonge from Blink 182 was right about aliens the whole time. Like <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I'm, I'm, with him. I'm way into that shit. I love Alien shows, I totally believe in it. It's awesome. They caught him. And so I was like, Amy, <laughs> you know, like you're in the middle. We were talking about what a different experience it is having your music consumed at the same moment you're still creating it as opposed to the lag time of like getting inspired, writing it, recording it, producing it, getting it ready to go out. And by the time it comes out, you're not in the same headspace you were in when you... <clears throat> laid it all down and right now you guys are having a very strange creative moment where you're watching the reaction to your new music while you're still creating the rest of the record yeah and so now maybe you're gonna write about some alien shit troy <laughs> maybe we might <laughs> you never know i mean we're we're getting really close to being done and um 
I'm actually headed out in three days to do some overdubs um, on the next batch of four songs. But we're getting very close. Most of the music is done. All the drums are done. So I don't think we'll ever do a record in a traditional sense again. I really don't. I think that the plan was always to do a little block of songs, a few, you know, a few songs at a time. It was always that plan. Yeah. And really, I guess the the difference now is, is that we didn't do, we did one block and then we did the rest of the record. But those songs had been in process for a long time, I guess. And we um, were able to kind of break up the sessions in pre-production where you kind of go through the arrangements and all that stuff into two different things. So it was a couple of blocks and it changed it. But I don't think that we'll ever go back to doing where we go in with, you know, 18 songs and do pre-production and whittle it down to 10. And then we do it all at once. I don't think we'll ever do that again. If anything, I think it'll be broken up even more, you know, where we're doing maybe two songs, three songs at a time. Something like that. Has it's it helped great. you get through mentally all of the craziness that this year has brought, having that kind of creative outlet to be able to focus on? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah, it's helped a lot. I mean, it's, it's an outlet for it. And um, it was something that we were already looking forward to doing. But then, you know, when you're just so limited on what you can do, it's just like, okay, cool. Now we could, you know can create well, that, and you just never know what's going to come out you know when you do that and i think that this music definitely speaks to the times i think people will hear that this is a very different evanescence record and i i think one of the coolest parts about doing this this way too is that we've been able to live with these songs a little bit because they've been the ideas have been there for a while and then we got into the studio and we laid down the the bed of music and then we go home while Amy works on lyrics or whatever. And like I said, I'm going back to do some overdubs. So I've been here at home listening to what we put down and getting ideas for the stuff that I want to do on the bed of music we already laid down. And usually you just make it up on the spot, you know, and you don't really have time to give it any thought. So it's been pretty cool to be able to live with the music um, and get those kind of ideas instead of immediately just putting down what's in your head right then. You know, I've played several different things on some of the songs and uh, been able to change things. I love hearing how you guys all, I think for anybody that that is just a fan of the music in the band, they see Amy as yeah. the band. And I love hearing that it's not just Amy, you know, that that you guys are all kind of crafting this stuff together. And because that had to be hard. I mean, the Amy was already so famous. Evanescence was already so well known. And you come into this band and it's like you guys all bring like we talked about your your areas of expertise and your experience and, and your success in your own right. And. So to hear that you guys are really doing this as a collaborative effort is really cool and I think might be surprising to some people that just think like Amy Lee is Evanescence with some dudes that might be on stage. And they couldn't, <laughs> that couldn't be more far from the truth. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that that took time. You know, again, we've been in the band for almost a little over 12 years. 
Yeah. And um, <clears throat> thirteen. One thing about writing, I think anybody will say, I'm sure you know, is that you know when you're writing and you're you know making art because that's what you're doing. You're making art together. It's a very intimate setting, and there's a level of trust that you have to have with whoever it is that you're working with. Um, emotional trust because when you're writing it's emotional like these are things that are coming out of you as a human being and it's emotional and you have to trust the people in the room with you with your feelings because you're really wearing your feelings on your sleeve for people to see and you know and and you're throwing ideas out where people are yeah you know nah i don't like it you know it hurts Yeah, but you got to have that trust. And Amy opened herself up to it, to the possibility, and you know, made herself vulnerable and allowing herself to say, "All right, do I do I really trust these guys like this? Do I really trust them?" And ultimately, the answer was, "Hell yeah!" And we thank it's thankful. I'm thankful for that, you know. And absolutely, um, there's a lot of loyalty in this band between all you know, the four of us, also Jen. But the four of us have been together for a long time. And there's a lot of loyalty between the four of us and trust. And it's what's helped us be able to do this. And it's, I'm telling you, man, people are going to trip out when they hear this. The, yeah, this, cool. this topic came up when, when I was talking to all of the, the guys like Mark Morton and Doc and, and Chris Trainer, And Mark was talking about that emotional openness when he worked with Chester Bennington. And my comment to that yeah. was... In order for you guys to be able to create this epic music, we, as the fans, it's like you have to put yourself through an emotional meat grinder literally for our entertainment. And we're on the consuming (laughs) end of this thing. And so we were talking about people like Chris Cornell or Chester Bennington that really, if you go back and listen to all of their music, Everything that they were feeling the whole time was all in there. And we were just receiving it as a commodity and a product. And that leap of faith you guys have to have with yourselves is on one level privately. But then you guys bear it for consumption to the rest of us to kind of read into whatever we want to read into it. And that is a whole other level of trust with your fans and then i can't even imagine what that would be like and then to have somebody be like that song sucks like i would want to kill them yeah it 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 hurts a lot yeah the um the judgments especially from people online because they don't know how much it affects us you know they're just saying ah that song sucks some people are vicious but most people are just saying their opinion but yeah it can be you know it's like you know, it's cliche, but it is like your baby, you know, those songs. You work really hard with this whole group of people to put out, you know, something that you really care about and you hope people like it. And I think that, like, I, I say this all the time, like, I never got into music to play in my bedroom. I got into music to, you know, to share that emotion that people, it's the reason people go to concerts. It's the reason that we, you know, get together and we celebrate this stuff, right? And I never grew up to do it in my room by myself or just be the best guy at that and do all that crap. No, I did it because I want to share it and I want it to transcend to the masses. And it doesn't always work out that way, um, i.e. scrape, but it, you know, it the, the idea is there to try to do it. But that said, 
I don't give a shit what people think. I never have and I never will. I don't fucking care. If you like what I do, thank you. If you don't, I'm cool with that. And then to the people that want to be vicious about it, don't care. <laughs> I tell don't myself care. that and then I read that shit and I'm like, fuck that fucking person. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I just don't care, man. Like it doesn't matter. It's like it's not gonna, and I've really come to grips with it. Maybe this is being the son of a psychiatrist, but I've really come to grips with the fact that it's not gonna change my day. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like whatever, I still got, you know, if I'm home, I still got to put gas in the car. I still got to take the trash out. And I still got to cook dinner. Doesn't change anything for me. Yeah. You know, I, but at the end of the day, I can put my head down and feel really good about what I'm doing if I believe in it and I like it, you know. And, and when you're in a band, you know, it's, it's a four-way, five-way, however many way of marriage. You're not always going to totally love everything that you do. But if you can get it into the, what I would say, the 90 percentile thing where everybody in the room's going, this is all, this 90 percent incredible, that's, that's a very successful Thing. Hell yeah. And I think that we would say with this record, we're probably in the 98.999 percentile yeah. of everybody digging this. We were. I'm so happy to hear you guys so excited about this stuff at this stage in all of your careers. That that you guys are so jacked up about this new music that you've been able to create in the face of every possible level of adversity that could be thrown in a band's way. <laughs> <laughs> fuck those haters and fuck COVID. I think... <laughs> We went. It may have helped in a way, too. I I think for Amy, it's helped her. You know, there's a lot of shit to write about, you know, lyrically. And um, some of these songs, one of of the songs, which I just um, heard Amy's vocal take on it uh, yesterday or the day before, we wrote how many choruses? Like eight or ten choruses for that song, musically. I mean, we we changed it so many times. But, we called it the gorilla that was on our back yeah. that we couldn't get off. <laughs> and we it, finally it's fucking finally beat the fucking shit out there. of that gorilla. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's badass. And she's yeah. open to a different level of criticism, too. I mean, let's not, you know, ignore the fact that her and I had this conversation yesterday, and we talked about it earlier with me, is that when you're a woman in rock and roll, yeah. you know, especially co- going back as far as she does, and I go back a little bit further on <clears> my <throat> side of things, that, you know... I mean, heaven forbid you have a big lunch and it fucking makes the news, you know, in the rock world if she's wearing something that, like, she's got a pound out of place. I mean, you guys, at least for the most part, that stuff doesn't even affect you. But then it's like this whole other level of, you know, keyboard warrior criticism on the Internet because she's a woman, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, you talk, think about women in rock and you go back to, you know, the 80s and the early 90s and stuff like that. And really, you know, the only things that I can think of that were massive were Lita Ford and Hart, obviously. Joan Jett. Joan Jett. And then am I leaving somebody else out? Because I don't think I am. That were massive. I mean, if you want to go into the pop vein, you could go Go Go's. You could yeah. go Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar. Yeah. Rock. Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar. Okay. Yeah. True. But just more modern. And I think that Amy came out at a time when there wasn't that. You know. Oh that yeah. Hell yeah. We, we had the same cast of characters in the hard rock world in terms of females, and she came into it. And I know the stories of what happened. You know, back when Evanescence got success, and 
it was not easy at all for her. And I remember being in meetings with them debating whether or not they could play female-fronted rock on the radio, and I'm in the meeting going, yeah. you fucks know I'm the DJ, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, right, exactly. Are you, are you fucking kidding me right now? Exactly. Like, you know I'm going to be the one talking about the band, so are you telling me that it's going to be hard for me to talk about a band that's got a female lead singer? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I know. I, know. Yeah. I mean, it is, but here we are, and luckily there's a lot more of that now. Yeah. Know, a lot more, and it's good. It's really good. Yeah. It's not just phoning it in kind of shit. It's legit. And I think that that's the thing. It's just like real, real stuff rises up. You know, it's like really good stuff rises up. And I think that none of that's easy, you know, particularly not in rock these days. You know, you have to fight for every inch that you get. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the, the people, the ladies that have done this, you know, now you got Lizzie, you've got Maria, um, you've got, uh, Ash Costello. Yes. Yes. There's What's a the, lot of women out there now. A lot it's of awesome. Them, They're crushing it. Um, you know, uh, Lacey that just came out with a new solo record. Yep. Another one that's just killing it so it's, there's a you know it's good to see it's a diverse topography of rock and roll now which before is i let you guys go um you guys have found success obviously in rock and roll over the years and one of the things that is hard to do when you do that is to maintain success at home and <laughs> i bring it up because I just got married last week. So you guys are. Congratulations. Thank you. Right so you guys are part of my, um, I guess, honeymoon right now. <laughs> like, so uh, I wanted to, uh, in the most strange way possible, ask for marital advice on being married to someone that is not in the business and how it is that you balance that. My wife is right huh. in the background. We've been together for over twenty years, right? Twenty-one years and married yeah. for nineteen, I think. Yeah, you've met my wife, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that the I don't know. It's, it definitely takes some understanding and patience and communication. It's all three of those are very important because <laughs> Troy's just laughing and I'm assuming it's because you feel bad for him you can I, be honest is that it's yeah on both ends actually you know <laughs> yeah. I mean especially if you have kids and then you you come home for two weeks while your wife has the baby and then you're like I gotta go and you're out wow. again and then she's yeah. alone with the baby and you're missing everything you know it's it's shitty on both sides, you know, in different ways. I say, like, people say to me a lot of times, like, you know, God, it's got to be such an adjustment, you coming home. You know, it's the same thing I've been getting for 30 fucking years of being on tour. God, it's got to be such a weird adjustment for you to come home. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it is weird for me. But you know what? It's, it's weird probably for them as too. weird, if not weirder, for my wife and my daughter because – you know, they're used to me not being there for six weeks at a time and they're smooth sailing, you know, they got their ship running like tip top. And then all of a sudden there's another asshole with an opinion in the house. <laughs> and it's like, like, wait a second, we didn't ask you. 
yeah, but I'm offering my opinion. I think this is, you know, we need to do it this way. We don't get Do you even live here, bro? (laughs) Yeah, do you even live here, bro? (laughs) (laughs) You're just on vacation. Yeah, I know. Don't you have a, like, two weeks in, don't you have a tour to go on to? (laughs) (laughs) That's been the adjustment now with this COVID thing. Is that, you know, my wife and my daughter, who's now in college, by the way, in Tampa, but, you know, they, they're, you know, like, it was great the first three months of this, you know, um, but I've got ADD and I gotta, I gotta go, man. I gotta keep doing shit. And by the time, you know, three months into this, I wore them the fuck out. And then, you know, they're like, God damn it. Don't you have a tour to go on to? Don't you have someplace to be? It's like, we love you. We do. But, you know. So this this theme comes back all the time, and this will be my last question, Troy. Do you only have sons? I've got one son, yeah, and I, you know, I have another, um, sort of son. He's not biologically my son, but I've taken Family's him under family. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's Be- it. Because you, so so. This is the I, I'm collecting the, the people. The list is short. I can count them on one hand. The number of rock stars I know that avoided having a beautiful daughter and avoided rock star revenge. <laughs> and I know Will has a beautiful daughter. And Troy, yeah. you are literally on a short list with Kid Rock, Tommy Lee, Des Fafara. <laughs> Which, by the way, how the hell did he? I, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. See, I think the curse is backwards. I think it's backwards. Yeah, you know. think the curse is having sons? Yeah. Or you think that you should have deserved the sons and those? I think, yeah, like I don't know how Tommy Lee and Kid Rock avoided having daughters. Exactly. Yeah. But, exactly. but out of, like, I literally ask every musician that I know this question because the, it's disproportionate. <laughs> The number of musicians that just have beautiful daughters as opposed to the ones that just have sons. And it's like you just, you know, Troy, you are a unicorn wrapped in an enigma. That's right. I've never done anything (laughs) mean to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) What are you saying? Your drummer has? I don't know. Right. (laughs) Right? Only he knows. Guys, I can't oh thank God. you enough for being so generous with your time and being so supportive of my new venture and trying awesome. to keep the New England rock scene together and and really trying to trudge through 2020 like everybody else and just trying to figure it the fuck out. And so the fact that all of the bands have been so supportive and and just, you know, generous with their time and, and all your love and everything over the years. It, it really means a lot. So I thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, we love you, man. It's great to we see you. Since... And I wish you the best of luck with your podcasts and your station. And I hope that you do win the Powerball so that you can buy the station. Fuck and then, yeah. You know, Wouldn't that be correct amazing? Correct all the wrongs. The apocalypse <laughs> will stop. <laughs> Oh my God, that was so much fun. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Episode 14 of the Mistress Carrie podcast generated quite a playlist. In the description of this podcast, you can click the link and uh, check out the badass playlist of all of the music we talked about. I cannot wait to hear the rest of this Evanescence record. Once again, thanks to Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com and Jumptown Skydiving at jumptown.com for sponsoring this week's episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. 
And thanks to all of the people that have a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. You can get yours at patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie. If you're looking for me online, you can obviously uh, find me on Twitter and YouTube and Cameo if you want me to make you a Cameo video at Mistress Carrie and at Mistress Carrie WAF on Instagram and on Facebook where you can join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 for Cocktails in the War Room. If you like what you heard, don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And if you don't mind, leave a comment and a five-star review and there's lots of great stuff coming. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.